to another episode of This Is What Blind Looks Like podcast. This is episode four, and today, Kimberly and I have a special guest, but we're going to wait on that for a second, just for a second. So, Kimberly, how was your week? It's been good. I wanted to mention that I went to my nephew's basketball game a few weeks ago. How fun. Yeah, it was it was fun. And the thing was is that I've never been to like a school's basketball game since I've lost my vision. I've been to football games and um let's see. Football games and yeah, I guess that's it. But I've never been to a basketball game and when watching football and things like that it's really hard to follow visually, you know, because there's so much going on. And unless there's like a commentator or something, Mm -hmm. you have no idea what's happening. Um, you know, the crowd around you is cheering. It's like, okay, so what do we do? You know? So I went there and my sister told me like which side of the court, the their hoop was and I was actually able to follow it because I could hear the basketball and so that really made me feel a part of a sport that I was watching for the first time in like gosh 12 years that's awesome that meant so much to me and it was just like oh yeah when's your next game I'll totally come you know so I've been doing well. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I remember I went to my very first major league baseball game, actually. Uh, it was, what, two years ago? I went to the, oh, what is it called? The Miller Park. I went to the Miller mm-hmm. Park Stadium to watch the Cubs play against the Brewers. And I say Cubs because I am a Cubs fan, so I was rooting for the Cubs, and the Cubs won that day, um, and it was amazing. Uh, But the thing that really made me enjoy the baseball game was, um, so I went with a group of blind friends, and they had radios that um, you could listen to the, you know, as the game was going on, so that way you knew exactly what was going on out in the field. So that made it very, very enjoyable for me, and I, I really want to go to another baseball game. So I had a lot of fun, and, and honestly, I feel that when you have a, a something like something like that that can, like a radio with, with a uh, game going on and everything, that that can help you just know what's going on, and you can just enjoy it. It was, a, it was a fun game, and I really hope to have that experience again. As for my weekend, I didn't do much of anything. Just, you know, stay home, watch movies, because it's cold out. Nobody wants to be in the cold. It's snowing. It's snowing in Wisconsin. Like, we, we have a snowstorm. I know that it said, well, I heard that it was going to be, like, six more inches of snow. I haven't checked that out yet, so I don't know how much it snowed. But, anyway, so we have a very special guest with us, actually. She's our first guest 
for our show. I've always said that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to always get a guest for a certain topic. And our topic for today is coping with vision loss. Um so with that being said, we would like to welcome our friend Carissa Malman onto our show. Hey guys. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, tell us about yourself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, awkward. It's okay. <laughs> I'm Carissa. I lost my vision when I was 24. I'm now 34, so 10 years ago. Uh, I keep myself busy. I volunteer at the Children's Hospital and at um, a place called Gilda's Club. And I volunteer at an elementary school helping kids or being a listener for kids who are just learning how to read. That's awesome. So I keep myself pretty darn busy. No, that's good. And that's important. And and I'm glad that that you can make a difference to... Uh, kids' lives and the community, and that you're you're helping the community in 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 some way, and that and that is really really important to just be active. Keeps me from you know sitting at home going, oh my gosh, my poor life. <laughs> Keeps me yeah, engaged exactly. with the community, right? And and that and that's good. It's always good to find something that that you can definitely help out with that you can definitely make a difference and 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 it's also nice so what else tell us more about yourself like what else what else do you like to do uh do you have any hobbies um I love to listen to audiobooks I also um love swimming which is something that I loved doing prior to losing my eyesight and luckily that's not something that eyesight is required to do so that's something that has not changed about me I love to swim I love to be outside and active except for when it's really cold out like it was over Christmas weekends or the weekend before Christmas where it was so bitter and the way it's been like the last week or so (laughs) yeah right who who does not like the cold nobody I think I think polar bears like the cold, but that's yes. about it. <laughs> yep. Polar bears and penguins. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I want to highlight about myself. Um, and I don't think so. Okay, so let's so let's move on. Thank you so much for giving a little introduction about yourself and telling us more about about you because there's more about you than just your vision loss. As with any, you know, as with any blind person, there's more, or anybody with a disability, there's more to that person than their disability. So always keep in mind. Vision loss is obviously the loss of vision. I guess it, it self-explanatory. There's no, there's no way to, to find it because it is what it is. There's no age, but that's not always the case. There's, so vision loss affects people of, of uh, different walks of life. Um, I know that people, when they think vision loss, they think seniors because sometimes it typically happens when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, and so you you can get diagnosed with glaucoma or 
age-related macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy if you've if you have uh, diabetes, but there's there's more to that. Vision loss can happen to anybody. It could be because of an illness. It could be because of a accident or just anything. Um, there's a lot of different things, and I will say that there are some people who who don't feel comfortable talking about their vision loss, no matter how it's been. Maybe they lost it in a tragic way, or just like you know, it's 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 a very for some people it's still a very hard topic to talk about but other people who get through it and learn how to adapt it becomes easier and it just becomes the lifestyle and they just learn to adapt to the changes and 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 they decide to to talk about it with other people and to let them know about vision loss and everything well there's a lot of organizations out there that can help people who are losing vision or have lost vision. There's organizations like the American Council for the Blind, the American Foundation for the Blind, the National Federation of the Blind. If you're in Canada, there's the CNIB. Um, And if you are in the UK, there is the RNIB. I think that's what it's called, the RNIB. Anyway, So those are just a couple of organizations out there that are there for resources to help. I will definitely link those down in the show notes below so that you guys can definitely check those resources out. I just want to let people know that there's different resources and whatever works for you works for you. Kimberly, do you want to chime and add something about vision loss? Sure. Let me think. Sometimes it can happen very suddenly. And with vision loss, it you have to go through a grieving period sometimes. And that includes, you know, denial and in, in withdrawal and um, acceptance. And I don't know what else. It is with grieving, what are all the steps? But I think some people think that you're supposed to just like accept it right away. But for me, it took, it was a long road to accept it because I was always told that, oh, you'll get this surgery and it'll make it better. And then it would be better and then it would get worse. And so that up and down struggle was really hard for me. And just know if there are any listeners out there that are going through it, don't be afraid and don't be ashamed of the emotional toll it's taking on you if you're you're having a hard time dealing with it or if you're just not having a good attitude. There's hope out there and... Take advantage of talking to friends. If you have any folks in the blind community, talk to them. It's nothing to be ashamed about. And it's it's a very common process to have to go through. And know that you're not alone, that there's thousands of us out there. And it the emotional part 
of dealing with it will get better. Yes. Yes. And there's a lot of uh, vision conditions that cause vision loss, like glaucoma, as we mentioned, um, retinitis pigmentosa is another one, just to name a few. There's a lot out there. I like we're not we're not doctors, we're not eye doctors. We don't we don't know much about ophthalmology. We just know much about our own conditions to just be able to uh, simply speak for that. But there's a lot of eye conditions that that are progressive and degenerative and that do cause vision loss. So while it is not a very easy topic, there are ways to adapt and and I know that it it does take time to to accept and everything. Um, but there are people just like Carissa and Kimberly that have now adapted and and learned their new way of life, so to speak, that they're comfortable with it. So with that being said, we're, we're gonna have Carissa share her story. All right. So imagine going from, you know, being a pediatric intensive care unit nurse, getting ready to go to work, and then all of a sudden everything goes dark, and you wake up two weeks later in intensive care, and you can't see. Yeah, that's that's what happened to me. Although I did have kind of, and I don't know... Tell me if this is too um, too weird for the podcast, Angie. But I did have an experience where when my heart stopped beating, I saw my cousin who had died 10 years previously. Oh, wow. And he told me, he's like, Krissa, you can either stay here with me or go back to our family. But I want you to know that if you go back, you will not be able to see. That is crazy. I love that story. Wow. And I was I was 24 at the time, so I was like, uh, there's so much I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and it and it must have been challenging, right? Cuz I mean, you you did drive, correct? Oh, yes. Yep. I I drove. I Let's see what are some of the thi- like I d- drove, walked, like I never got to fly a plane. Although I never had an urge to, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I did everything. I, I could see I was, I think my visual acuity was like 20 over 60 or something. So I did wear glasses for far off things, but I didn't get those until I was a teenager. Um, so I, I had pretty normal vision up until my cardiac arrest. Oh, wow. Wow, that... That that must have been, well, very life changing and very a very drastic way to just, you know, like you to to kind of just let that sink in, like. Yeah, it took a while for it to sink. I mean, to like when I first started to wake up, I don't really have any memory of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what my mom or my friends tell me, mm-hmm. and they. For a while, they said that they honestly didn't know that I couldn't see. Oh, wow. I, my mom tells me that she had an, the experience of, like, 
talking with the doctors and at first they said, oh, it's just double vision. You know, they would give her any number of reasons why I wasn't able to see things. Mm-hmm. And then finally she said to one of the doctors, I don't know, a week or two later, like, what? When is her vision coming back? And the doctor looked at her and said, oh, it's never coming back. And my wow. mom was just so like, <sighs> mortified. Or not mortified, but just, like, that was such a crass way of mm-hmm. delivering such news to a family. Right. Right. Oh, exactly. That's crushing. It is. It is. It is. It is soul-crushing because, I mean, you're, you know, to just know, well, if your family member that was able to, to drive and do all these things, like, all of a sudden you tell them, boom, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna be able to see, they're not gonna be able to, you know, and... Yes, they're doctors, and yes, they 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 do know the 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 medical terminology about a condition, but they don't know right. they don't know the the possibilities the possibilities of in the in the in a person the, with that condition. Yep, and the and the skills and the tools that 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 person learns to adapt. You know, yep. like they don't know anything about orientation and mobility they don't know anything about like daily living skills they know nothing about that like for them like they they just like anybody in the general public that doesn't know about it they're gonna assume oh it's tragic oh this person can't do anything anymore like no like there's that's completely completely um incorrect to even assume that because as we both know as as blind people that that we can do things and that we can acquire the skills that we need to to learn to to be in this sided world and to be successful. So for you, it wasn't it wasn't like you had time to think, oh crap, I'm gonna have to to, to give up my car keys and not drive anymore. Yeah, that there was no decision making, you know, when I opened my eyes and could really cause those first few weeks or maybe even months were really fuzzy. But mm-hmm. I'd say after that, when I started to think about my life, I'm like, oh, God, what am I, you know, I have to learn a whole new way of being, you know, I have to learn how to adapt. And because luckily, I had a good friend at the time who was like, you know what, there's an organization that I've researched, and they sound awesome. They, um, and he's the one who connected me with the National Federation of the Blind helping me to realize that there were people all over the United States and all over the world that were living successful independent lives despite vision loss. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm I'm glad that that you had that because some people that are going through vision loss don't even know the resources that are out there. Like um I remember I was I was at FedEx faxing a couple things that I needed to send in and I went outside it was a a beautiful summer day it was hot I was outside I was sitting down and I this woman this elderly woman approached me and she said hey she said can I sit next to you and I said yeah go ahead you know she had just gotten out of her car and she was gonna go into FedEx or the bank or wherever she needed to go and um she sat by me a couple minutes and for a couple minutes and we chatted and she said she said listen she said I have glaucoma and 
I'm gonna have to give up my car keys soon and I'm and I'm very scared like I I don't know what to do and and I said I understand that you're scared and that's okay it's okay to feel scared I don't I don't know what uh what you're going through exactly but I can understand the 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 feeling associated with it and I said but it's okay uh don't worry there's organizations that can help you and I I gave her a list of organizations and she said thank you thank you thank you I'm gonna look it up when I get home and she said something told me to sit next to you and something told me that you would be here to talk to me and to let me know not to be scared and and I'm glad that that uh that woman had had me to talk to her that day because she she didn't know what to do she was at a loss and you know I explained to her about the white cane and how useful it is because she had asked me and and I said there's you can learn how to use a white cane there's an organization and they have O&M instructors and people that can help you and and I've really I'm really glad that I was able to kind of give her a sense of hope if you will right that's that's amazing and Honestly, that's one of the many reasons of why I even started this podcast was because I've always had people that were coming up to me when I was on the bus or when I was walking somewhere who were like, hey, I'm losing my vision or a relative of mine is losing vision or or someone I know has lost vision. Like, what is there to help them? Well, it's funny you mention that because at my last glaucoma appointment, I didn't think of it until I was in the, you know, exam chair and the tech was there and I was like, I was with my mom and her and a family friend and I was like, oh, you guys, I should tell them about my podcast. And the tech was like, you have a podcast? And so I told her all about this wonderful podcast that my friend Angie hosts that I'm a co-host on and how we educate people and tell people who don't know all the resources out there and the different how we live as a blind person. And so my doctor comes in and he, um, Dr. Shuiso, who is a very knowledgeable doctor, he comes in and I wasn't going to mention it because we were late because of traffic and it was the end of the day and he seemed kind of in a rush so I was thinking, oh no, maybe I'll tell him next time. And the family friend's like, hey, weren't you going to tell the doctor about your podcast? And I'm like, he's like, you have a podcast? And I'm like, yeah. And I told him all about it and here he goes, here he took out his phone and he subscribed to this awesome podcast we have. That's awesome. Right there in the doctor's office. Oh my goodness, that is so cool. That I is know. Awesome. I was so flattered. Like, I was taken aback. I just thought he'd be like, oh, that's good. Well, that that's good that you have that. Or, you know, just, just not do anything more and the fact that he actually like pulled out his phone and subscribed I was like oh my gosh I was so elated that I 
had to call Angie here and tell her all about it. And when I left, the tech was like, hey, can I spread the news of your podcast around the, the office here? And I said, oh my God, that would be wonderful. I said, this is just the audience that we're looking for. You know, people that are coming in and don't know about the things that are out there that we use or are struggling with vision loss. And that way they can, we can get to the exact audience that we're hoping to reach. So that was nice too. Yes, yes. Carissa, can you, can you, uh, continue on with with your with your story like what what happened after the fact that you started realizing that that you had lost your vision and and everything okay so I was in the intensive care unit for a month and then because I had a brain injury I had to go through a bunch of physical therapy speech therapy and so I did I was inpatient rehab or inpatient rehab for a month and then two months of day eight hour days um five days a week rehab for eight weeks and then had to do a bunch of outpatient you know appointments so I don't think I was able to really focus all that much on the fact that my eyesight was diminished um from what had been wow but once I got all the re- the speech language all the other rehabs out of the way I was like okay now I kind of have to figure out how to you know walk outside and not worry about falling off of a curb or um so my family had con or I guess it was in during one of my rehabs they had contacted the con- the um, Wisconsin Council for the, Bl- the Blind, and they had come out to give me my first cane. Oh, wow. At, during one of my physical therapy sessions. Um, so they kind of taught my physical therapist and I how to use the cane. Okay. And, you know, I mean, it was just a very brief, like, nothing, you know, 30-minute conversation so my physical therapist and I would, you know, walk to the McDonald's to grab, I was addicted to French fries at the time. <laughs> and so the way that she got me to, you know, go outside and walk was, oh, hey, we can walk up to McDonald's and get some French fries. <laughs> and that, that bribe worked. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I got my cane. And, you know, felt comfortable using it, not so much on my own. Like, if I had somebody walking with me, I felt okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until I kind of felt kind of trapped inside my house. I was like, there's got to be something else. You know, there's got to be a way to get these great skills that I, all these people that I've heard of that are doing awesome things, Mm -hmm. you know, some way to get the same kind of skills that they have. And that's um, when I um, decided that I wanted to go to a National Federation of the Blind training center. There's one in in Louisiana, there's one in Colorado, and there's one in um, Minnesota. Oh, wow. And so I chose the one in Colorado. 
and went out there. I think I started in June of 2000. Yeah, June of 2010. Um, Oh, wow. And I, you know... It was really difficult. For the first time, I was away from home, completely away from everybody I know and loved. And, you know, I was in this intensive, like, adjustment to blindness training program where I was sitting next to, you know, people who had been blind the majority of their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was struggling to learn the alphabet and their fingers were just flying over the page. And I'm like, God, I feel like an idiot. Why, why can't I make my fingers do that? Um, and so I think at that point, I, I kind of fell into a, a dark place that I don't like to, to remember a whole lot because I just was like, this isn't fair. What, you know, right. Just another stage of grief mm-hmm. or that comes along with, you know, the adjustment to blindness. Right. And that was very, very difficult. Um, I was able to work my way out of it mm-hmm. um, because of a couple of friends. They, I think I started reaching out to people when I, after I had that, you know, that moment of like, oh crap, I, I can't deal with this alone. I, I need friends. And so I, I let them into my, you know, private world of, of grief. And they were like, oh my God, we feel the same way. And so it was so good for me to have people that, were in the, kind of the same in my shoes almost they felt the same way that I did right so once we got the three of us got to be friends I was like oh my gosh there are people who are just like me you know they might not be the same age because both of them had lost their eyesight one I think lost his eyesight due to um diabetic retinopathy and the other to um uh retinitis pigmentosa right um and so the three of us we were just like you know, there's not just one way to do this. We're going to, we'll figure it out. And so the fact that I had, you know, people in my corner, I felt that I had support and people backing me. I really kind of embraced like going out and being not afraid to get lost, trying to find a particular location. Right. Uh, So, and then unfortunately on December 19th of 2010, there was, it had snowed the night before and the roads were really icy. In fact, I had almost fallen on my butt walking to the bus stop and my friend had grabbed onto me. He's like, here, I'm going to hold on to you so that you don't end up on your, your butt five more times before we get to the bus stop. Oh, wow. Um, and then we were waiting at the bus stop and I distinctly remember my friends saying, oh, crap. And I don't know if I, if these are memories that I actually do have, or if my brain, because of the concussion, mm-hmm. um, made them up. But I, I have a re- memory of hearing him say, "Chris, tell my wife and daughter that I love them." And wow. then I, something hit me, and after I everything was said and done, I woke up on the grounds with like face down on the ground. And I heard um, a lady get out of her car screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God, I've just hit three blind people. Wow. Oh, I know. And I said, I, 
I think she must have been doing it at the same time as I was thinking, like, don't say that. Call the freaking EMS. Wow. <laughs> oh, jeez. No. Oh, um, and so then we, I obviously got transported to the hospital. And I, re- I remember having the or one of the passers-by who stopped to help. I explained to her um, because I knew that he had kind of pushed me out of the way. So I'm like, he had to have taken the brunt of the hit. Wow. And I said, can you go over to him, put your fingers, and I, I put my fingers up near, like, where you take your pulse on um, – on your neck. Right. And I was like, can you feel for, you know, and you won't want to feel the some pulses. And she came back and reported, she's like, I barely feel anything. And I was like, oh, son of a oh, gun. Oh, no. Um, so then the next thing I remember was hearing the flat line, this, like, being in the med- medical field, um, I know what, when I say flat line, I know what that means, but it's like that beep that you hear when somebody's heart just stops. Right. And that's the next thing I remember in the room next to me. And I like, I didn't know which room my friend was in, but <sighs> like in my, in my own personal world, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's my friend. Oh no. Oh. So I was yeah. at that point, I was recovering still recovering from the anoxic brain injury meaning um brain injury not caused by trauma right just caused by you know cardiac arrest Mm -hmm. but now i was also dealing with a traumatic brain injury because i had sustained a concussion um as well as two facial fractures and a fracture in my leg oh wow oh i didn't remember that you fractured your leg wow but wow to all of it, though. Right. All I remembered yeah. was the face. Yeah. That's the important so thing hard. was is that that didn't stop me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have to get healed up so I can finish my <laughs> my training Aww. because this will not deter me. Right. Yeah. And and if you don't mind me asking, what what happened? What happened to your other friend that was with you and 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 and, and your friend who who uh, passed? My the other friend was um, she, I think she had started like months and months behind. But from what I remember or what I remember hearing, I believe that she finished the program in Colorado oh. and then was able to go on and continue her um, college experience. Okay, wow. And so, so then after that, you you went through training at. Blind Incorporated, correct? Yeah. Well, I, yes. Yep. After I recovered from all my injuries, then I went and I was like, you know, it's just too traumatic at the, out in Colorado. I'm going to go somewhere else, mm-hmm. maybe a little closer to home. Right. And so I went to the training center in Minneapolis, which was in this beautiful old, like historic Pillsbury mansion. It was such a neat place. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really gained the confidence mm-hmm. that I needed to, you know, walk independently, go out and go after the things that I really wanted. 
Yeah, that's where I met you, Carissa. I'm just sad that I had to leave so early in your training because you came in September and I left like six weeks later. Yeah, yeah. you were just (laughs) leaving as I, or I I came in just as you were leaving. Right. Um, I'm trying to think... I was never so proud as the day that I made my big meal, my large meal. And it was during, oh gosh, there were a lot of people there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I just remember thinking, I don't know if I will ever make a meal for this many people again. (laughs) Wow. Right. But you, you did graduate. I did, yes. Yep. You were able to finish, and so that's a huge accomplishment. Yes. Doing all those goals, there's um, a lot to learn. And like you said before, like, I remember just getting there and seeing the students who were way past me in their training, like, almost graduating and seeing all they could do, and it was, like, just so such a reality check you know because you're like oh my gosh how can I do that how can they do that now I have to do that how am I gonna do that (laughs) so yeah so now you're you're keeping busy and stuff yes (laughs) yep I was able to graduate and I came back and moved back to Madison and lit lived independently for quite a few years before I got married. Not that I'm not living independently now, but meaning I lived alone. Right. Um, until, mm-hmm. until like, um, or close to when I got married. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. And so now you're married and you're happy. Married, happy, um, well, most of the time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's always a happy my ending husband. to a story, right? Yes. My <laughs> husband and I, are we love to harass, like tease each other and just poke at each other and try and make the other one like, are you serious? What? <laughs> <laughs> so some, sometimes we'll just, I, I don't even know how to explain it. He will do something, and I'm like, oh, my God, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and your husband's sighted, right? He is sighted, although um, he tells me that I'm his seeing eye dog. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. You've got that back, or you've got that really out of context. Like, I'm the one who should need a guide dog, not you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But I should say, he probably would be like, what, you t- you said that joke on the podcast? What do people think that I mean to you? <laughs> like, well, they don't have the luxury of seeing how I harass you right back. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all teasing and good fun. <laughs> Aww. Well, that makes me glad that that you that you've found happiness and you found a way to adjust and everything and look at you you're married you have a house you know you're enjoying life you're volunteering that's amazing yes not what I would have like at the time you know when you first 
lose your eyesight, you're all like, oh my God, what's my life going to look like? It was, my life looks like what I had hoped that it could look like. But at the time that I was thinking that, I was like, how in the world is it ever going to be able to look like that for me? Right. So my advice for anybody listening is you just have to keep the faith, keep working on what's, you know, whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's, uh, I forget whether it's your own adjustment to blindness training or just cane travel skills that you're learning just to keep, keep on and have the faith that one day you will overcome and be okay with everything. That's wonderful. What a great message. I just love hearing your story. Yes, me too. That wonderful story is coming from somebody who was once sighted and then lost vision and she she overcame all the adversity and everything that comes along with with coping with vision loss and and now we're going to hear from Kimberly. Do you want to tell your story? And Carissa, thank you. Thank you so much for for telling your story. And and you can feel free to stick around for real. Like Yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. I want to hear Kimberly's story now. I can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kimberly, tell I us your story. I don't know how do I follow that? Um <laughs> Anyway, I wanted to start out by saying that in past episodes I mentioned how I've had vision problems since birth. But I wanted to say that at the age of two and a half months old was when I was first fitted with glasses. And just the other day, my mom came upon a video that was shared through Facebook of a baby putting on glasses for the first time and starting to take them off and then looking around and have this like their eyes grow wide and they're just in awe. And my mom said that that was the same thing with me, that she remembers that. That's how I was with wearing glasses because my world was so limited with the vision I had and with the glasses. It was like, thank God that we have these and that she can see with them. And my mom always tells this story. She was shopping with me when I was like a baby. And she walks out of the store with me, and a woman chases her down. And she goes, ma'am, ma'am, why is that baby wearing glasses? And my mom just turned around like, are you kidding? And my mom goes, so she can see. You know, like, why else would she be wearing glasses? But it's really not something that you see every day. But who puts an age limit on glasses? Why does it have to be, you know, age two and up or whatever? So I started wearing glasses at a young age. And I explained what I went through through school, the things I used and all of that. So let's get to eighth grade. In eighth grade, I wound up having my first glaucoma surgery for to relieve the pressures of my eye. It was a laser surgery. It took like 30 seconds. I was out for like a half hour, like semi. I don't remember anything that like, I forgot what they call it, that dream state or whatever. And I wound up having that on a Thursday and missing school on Friday, which was awesome. And then 
going back to school on Monday. And before I left, I think, I'm hoping that some of my classmates are listening, because I think, of course, rumors spread. And I want to say that people thought I was getting, like, LASIK, because that was just coming out at the time. And my whole, all my classmates, we had teams at my school, and it was just, like, split up three ways, the grades. And everyone in my team had made me, like, a good luck card or get well card or whatever before I left. And that was nice. But the reason why I say that everyone that people thought that I was getting LASIK is that it kind of came across that people are like, oh, so you won't need to wear glasses now. And it's just like, who told you that? How did this story get so twisted, you know? (laughs) And so I think that they just assumed that when they heard blazer surgery. Oh, you know. So anyway, that was nice. And so that was my first glaucoma surgery with many more to follow. The same type of surgery, the laser surgery or whatever. Then when I was a senior, and it and it did not affect my vision, just in case that wasn't obvious, it just affected my glaucoma pressures. Then when I was a senior in high school, I was told I could get a lens implant in my good eye, and that would make me not have to wear my really thick glasses all the time. And when you're a kid, you want to be normal. I was vain. I just I just heard, you don't have to wear glasses. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe, maybe people will actually talk to me, or maybe they won't feel the need to tease me relentlessly about how thick my glasses are, as if I didn't know. And then I could look like everyone else and not have to wear glasses. And who knows, uh, maybe I could go into college and not even have to mention that I used to wear thick glasses. No one will know. But my senior year, I had so much going on. I... From sunup to sundown, I, you know, got ready for school, went to school, went to like five classes. I had a hero co-op class, which included having a hero co-op job in the afternoon for me. Well, most of the students had one after school, but for me, it needed to be doing school hours. So because it was working as a teacher's assistant in a kindergarten classroom. So I would have my classes in the morning, and my lunch was like sixth hour. And it was so nice because I had a teacher, Mr. Tappy, who my, it was before my lunch hour, his class, and he let me leave early if he was finished with instruction. If it was just like, oh, we're going to just go through notes, or um, it's time for you to read this chapter or whatever, he'd be like, you can head out. And because that way I would get more time in my, and at, at the school working with the kids and I would just grab something to go for lunch and the school was two blocks away and I would walk there and get there from, be there from one thirty to 3 every day and then walk back to school to catch my bus home. Oh, wow. I also... With, with that included, I also had a part-time job after school, which was being a cashier 
at the local shop call. I loved that job. It worked. Like, so, like, three or four days a week, I worked at Shopco on top of my schooling and my other job. And so I was really used to this fast-paced life. And so I was told to that I would get this cornea transplant in, like, I want to say, I remember it was after Christmas because I was like, oh, it's a, just a late Christmas gift. I'll be able to see just fine now. And at the time, I had 2070 vision with glasses. I'm not sure what it was without the glasses, but it was a lot better than my vision is right now, actually. So I I was really disappointed because I think I found out in February or March that my surgery would have to be postponed because my doctor was taking off because he was having um, shoulder surgery. And so I was really upset. I was just like, if we did 18 years to be able to see well again, now it's got to be postponed. And my mom said, you know, maybe this is good. Who knows how well he can use his shoulder. So, you know, I just kind of pouted my way through that month until we got to April. I remember it was on April 3rd because it was my cousin's birthday. And so I went to get, or the day before, something. So I, the doctor told us it would happen on Thursday. Again, same same deal. I would have off school on Friday to recover and have the weekend to recover and be to school on Monday. Well, that didn't happen. So they did the lens implant. And when I came out of it, my vision was blurry. And it was just like, why Why is my vision blurry? I could see enough. I mean, I could see the TV pretty well. I, I couldn't really read or anything. So school was out the window. And I kept having follow-up appointments. And the doctor's like, I'm really not sure what, what the case is. But we think it's going to clear up. I wound up having to miss five and a half weeks of my senior year to wait for it to, quote, clear up. And I don't hold anything against the doctor. I just want to say that because just stuff happens, you know. Right. So I wound up missing I wound up missing those weeks of school. My mom homeschooled me. My a couple of my teachers either I went to school and they went through stuff with me or I had a teacher come over and go through like a few things with me and just kind of like, okay, you're missing these classes. Luckily I didn't have very much. It was my computer class and my hero co-op class that I had the, the most difficulty with because I was taking a computer applications class and that's not exactly something that can be instructed, just sent home and you just do. Right. So my other classes were choir, and that was fine if I missed that. I mean, we we went through the songs and stuff, so... But it was just hard to go from having two jobs in school to nothing. But surprisingly, I don't remember being really down and out about it during then. I was just thinking, cool, I don't have to go to school. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, and I was doing really well in all my classes. So 
I remember my friends coming at the time, and it was around Easter, and they brought me an Easter basket. I was so, like, addicted to Gushers fruit snacks. So they brought me, they came after school one day and checked on me. And I was like laying on the couch, all like blanket and everything. And they came, they're like, hey, we came to surprise you. And it was so sweet of them. And I remember also getting letters from every kindergartner that I worked with. And like, get well letters, we miss you. And so all of that stuff was so touching that I'll never forget. So when I got back to school, I remember the day I got back, I was just like kind of in a bad mood because I was hearing everyone talk about prom that weekend. And I was like, oh, gee, good for you. You got to go to prom. And I wasn't going with anyone at the time, so I probably wouldn't have gone anyway. But just the fact that like I missed enough, it kind of filled me with like some jealousy there. But when I did go back... I had someone with me, this girl who was, I don't know who set it up, like if like the school set it up or like the the blind organization in our area or what, but I wound up having this girl come and walk me with me to all my classes because I couldn't open my locker. It was a combination lock. Oh, I always struggled with those, always. I had to look pretty closely to them to begin with. Yep. So not only could I not open my locker, I couldn't really see very much around me. I couldn't read. It was just like, okay, we're going to try to get her adjusted back into the whole school swing of things because she's missing too much. So she was with me for a good week. And during that week, and and also I want to include during these weeks it started to clear up a little more and a little more but very gradually so that girl was with me for like a week Mm -hmm. and I don't think during that week I went to my hero co-op job either but um my job at Shaco they wound up giving me like a two or three month leave of absence so that was nice I didn't have to go back there till June So that was nice to know that my job wasn't in jeopardy, even though it was just part-time, but still. So I went back to school, and after a week, she left because I didn't need her anymore. And each day, it was like, oh, I can read this now. And, like, in the newspaper, it had the list of all the graduating seniors, and they were passing newspapers around in homeroom. And I'm like, hey, Jenny, I think this was later in the week. I'm like, I can read this. And so once it was established that my vision was back to what it used to be, I was able to go about my business. I did have to wear reading glasses, but going from having to wear glasses from the moment you wake up at night to taking them off and when you have to take a shower and when you go to sleep to reading glasses is like, I can't even explain it. It's so such a relief, you know. It's it's nothing that I that I experienced before. And so after a week she left, I finished my senior year. I went back to my hero co-op job and everything was back to normal after that. I graduated, you know, I my my life 
went on and that was behind me it was just like oh that was kind of strange so then I went to college and I studied there for a year but throughout that year this was the fall of 2003 throughout that year I began to experience I call it bouts of blurriness where like it wouldn't be every day but every once in a while my vision would get blurry and I could see well enough but it was just like kind of the equivalent to someone who needs reading glasses taking them off and then putting them back on it was kind of like that where I could still see but things were weren't is is my vision wasn't as clear as was it what what it was supposed to be or what it has been. Was it kind of so, like foggy? Yeah, it was foggy and it was kind of like I had to blink a while in order to get the vision back again. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of scary because it'd be like that for a good like 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And I tried to figure out ways to like combat it where I was like, oh, maybe I'm just... Um, my, I don't know, I didn't have a logical conclusion to it, but it, sometimes if I, like, didn't blink for a long time, it would kind of, like, reset my vision. Mm-hmm. So I would try doing that. Sometimes, I know it makes no sense, but I, I, was, I was willing to try anything. And throughout that year, it was hard to keep up in college because I was going, the first semester I was going for... I almost said Braille transcriptionist thinking of my job I'm going for now. But I was going for uh, an office assistant. And, you know, going back to the classes I had in high school, I found that I learned that quickly and that I was good at it and I enjoyed it. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so, but throughout the year, I would have those bouts of blurriness and it was hard to take the time tests that you need to take to establish how many words per minute you're typing because you had a stand with the paper on, but I'd have to lean so close to see the paper that my hands would move and I wasn't able to keep them on the keys. So, and that's, that's like a huge part of, being a secretary of sorts is you're documenting how fast you can type. So that was hard. So then I changed to the second semester early childhood because I've been around kids all my life. I like babysitting, things like that. So I did that second semester and that went well. But my classes were really hard to keep up with given the problems I was having with my vision. So I decided to just finish that year of college and then not go back because the department, the disability department wasn't the best. They didn't even know how to like enlarge like a sheet of paper to make the writing bigger or whatever. Like if I had a map, they didn't even know how to enlarge it or They weren't able to hook me up with a note taker, things like that. It was just like, oh, well, you'll have to ask around. And then it was like, well, what if no one, 
and and I did make an announcement in the class, but no one offered to be my note taker. So that was just it was just left at that. So I stopped going to college after that. And in November of that year, I wound up being told that they think I need a cornea transplant, which would involve a donor who was around my age, same blood type, all all those specifications that that are considered one donating any kind of organ. They even test for AIDS because we were kind of laughing at the absurdity of it because I said, wouldn't that be terrible if I finally was able to see, but all of a sudden I had AIDS because oh cornea was, was, you know, had that, that I got, I mean, so, um, anyway, so I got it. I wound up getting a cornea transplant of January, 2004 and they figured out that, oh, no wonder her vision is blurry. The lens embedded itself in the cornea. Like, the cornea grew around my lens when I got the lens implant. Oh, my gosh. So they actually had to, like, strip pieces of my cornea that they were taking out, out to get the lens out. So that was involved. That was an unforeseen circumstance in the surgery. Not to mention, I found out I was allergic to morphine because they gave me that and I broke out. And I remember waking up from surgery and then being like, oh, yeah, um, oh, no, you can't see her yet. And my parents, like, freaking out, like, what do you mean we can't see her yet? They're like, oh, um, there's, I forgot how they worded it, but they pretty much told them, like, something happened, we have to figure something out or whatever. So they were, like, terrified that something went terribly wrong and I was dying or something. But it was just a rash. So it was like, okay, good to know. I'm allergic to morphine. Kind of taken aback that I never knew that. So anyway, I got the transplant and... I was not prepared because I wasn't told that, at least I don't remember being told, that, oh, by the way, you're not going to have any vision the day after when you take your patch off. And so I got the patch off, and it was, like, dark, like, stereotypical blind dark. And a little light came through, but not very much. And so that was really hard to adjust to, going from being able to see well enough, blurry sometimes, to, oh, you have a surgery that's supposed to make your vision better, and they take the patch off, and now you have way less vision than you had before. And so that was really hard. So I handled that as dramatic as I could because I was just beside myself crying all the time and like so just lost and taken aback like I didn't know that was gonna happen and so I was severely depressed during that time 
But after a few weeks, every few days, my vision got a little better and a little better, going from one week barely being able to see to a few days later, okay, I can see a little more light. A few days later, okay, I can kind of see things around me, but there's a yellow tinge to it, to being able to shovel the driveway and then finally being able to see the icons and the words on the screen of my computer. So that happened and everything was fine and dandy until about a year later when my vision started decreasing and they said, oh, you're transplant rejected. And I'm like, okay, so what do we do? They're like, okay, I guess we'll try again. And so I was off work. So I was like, well, it worked after a while, you know. And so they tried again in October of 2006. And between that period, just losing the vision again just brought it all back. All the emotions, the roller coaster is, I I can't think of words to describe the emotions I was going through, the back and forth vision, the back and forth my mood. So I got the second cornea transplant. Everything went well. Um, Kind of the same deal, but this time I was a little more prepared for it. So that kind of helped. And I don't remember being upset or anything during the second transition. I wound up getting some local training here in Wisconsin for vision loss. But by the time that I got to get into that training program, I had my new cornea transplant and I saw like 50 times better than all the other students. It was like, why am I going through this training? I can see just fine. And they were even talking about maybe giving me glasses again to improve more on the training. So... I wound up going through the training scene really well. And then a few months later, um, being done with that training and, you know, moving on, so to speak. So then I had a, um, so then again, same deal about a year later. Oh, my vision's getting worse. Oh, great. Not again. So, and, and by this time, my mom had moved. And so I was in a surrounding that I wasn't exactly familiar with very much. And so that was really hard. I didn't leave the house very often. I did have a few friends that stuck by me through this time. And I am so grateful for those friends. Like my friend Erin, she would get to, she would pick me up. We go to the mall a lot. And um, my friend's. Kenny and Sarah and Lori in the blind community were my closest friends at the time and they helped me a lot. And then my friends since kindergarten, Bethany, she stuck by me. But it was hard because I don't know if you went through this, Carissa, but the time when I needed friends most was when they were like starting their lives and going to college, moved away getting married, having kids, and it's like they fall off the map because we didn't have Facebook back then. And I couldn't text because obviously I couldn't see the screen of my phone. They didn't have voiceover back then. And so the days were so long and boring. And I kind of established my life from going from when I could see to when I can't. That's how I feel. 
view in my life. Most people view it from like, oh, from high school to college to work, whatever. It was just like, oh, the good days were when I could see, the bad days are when when I can't see, and that's now. And meanwhile, they're doing more and more surgeries for my eye because my glaucoma has gotten worse. You know, I had the two failed cornea transplant, and throughout throughout the whole thing, they're telling me, oh, yeah, your, your vision will get better. Oh, don't worry. Oh, we're going to do this surgery, you know, the cornea transplant, and it'll make your vision better. And so all around me, my doctors are telling me, not the do- same doctor I have now, by the way, but they're telling me, oh, it, this too shall pass. You know, it, it'll get better. Your vision will get better. So what I was struggling with was contradictory to what was really happening and all I could think about was what I couldn't do. I used to play, be um, hugely play computer games like Sims and Roller Coaster Tycoon and things like that to like pass the time. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't do. I couldn't see the TV to to watch the shows that I watched. But now my schedule revolved around TV schedules, which I was like, okay, this is pretty pathetic. I don't have anything going for me. I'm not doing anything. I'm living at home in my 20s. And all I look forward to is what's on TV tonight. And so I didn't think very highly of myself at the time. And meanwhile, with all the surgeries I was going through, they had to regularly take stitches out of my eye. And I know that sounds pretty painful. It is. Because... I'd have to go to a doctor's appointment and they'd be like, oh, because I'd be like, oh, my vision's a little blurry. They're like, oh, I see what's the problem. One of the stitches is kind of loose. We're going to clip that. Um, and they put, yeah, they put. <laughs> I cringe when you say that. <laughs> I know. So do I. And they put eye drops in beforehand, but that only numbs the surface of your eye. I can't explain the feeling. It's kind of like a tugging or tickling feeling in your eye when they're doing it. And then it burns. And um, they actually have to take like a pair of tweezers and do it. So it's not exactly a blunt instrument that they use. And so when I hear the phrase, I'd rather stick needles in my eyes, I literally cringe and I think you don't know what it's like. It's not that bad. Oh, you had a bad day at work. Oh, poor you. You know, I feel so unsympathetic when people say that because it's like, if you only knew how it felt. I know it's just an expression, but it's just like, no, don't say that. You don't know. <laughs> so um, they they would do that on a very regular basis. And at this time I was seeing my doctor like, every month sometimes every six weeks at one point once a week and they would do certain procedures in the doctor's office and they had to like cauterize scar tissue and I had a lot of scar tissue built up so they had to do surgeries for that and at one point I wound up having 12 surgeries within one year on my eye wow yeah Well, scar tissue grew, and they wound up thinking, oh, well, it's growing over her visual field, so we'll just laser out, like, a window through the scar tissue for her to see out of. That was all fine and dandy, but sure enough, that window closed. And they had to do it every week to try to expand the window, but 
it didn't work, you know. So, again, more people saying, oh, we'll try this and your vision will get better and then it backfires. So throughout all that, I was having a really hard time. And anyway, so finally, and the training I received to begin with, what did not focus on non-visual skills, it focused on the vision I had at the time. And like I said, the vision I had at the time was really good, probably the best it's been in my entire life. So I didn't learn how to do things under blindfold. And so once I had a surgery that August, they told me we have to go behind the eye. And I forgot what they did, but I woke up with a black eye because of all the trauma that they did in it. And I said, will I lose any vision? That was my most, like, the most important thing to me. Okay, if we're going to do this, I, I understand this procedure needs to be done. Will I lose any vision? And they're like, oh, I'd probably give it a 10% chance. Well, that 10% being a 100% turned out. So I wound up losing more vision because of that, quote, 10% chance of vision loss during my surgery. And so everything I learned to begin with at the training program I was in went out the window because now I don't have the vision that I have before. So when I was looking down at things as I'm doing them, that doesn't come into play anymore. And... So there, there there were just a lot of things that could have been done differently in the training I had to begin with that I found later. And I didn't want to go to a training center because of the blindfolds. But the thing was is that I found out the hard way that I did need them because what if, by chance, I would lose more vision? And that's the focus that they... That they have at the training centers that I went to that we're going to teach you how to do things non-visually if you have sight because your vision might or will change because a lot of people a lot of people with vision loss it's um gradual and so what's that called what's the condition called where like um all throughout your life it gets a little worse um, I think it starts with a D. Well, never mind. Retinitis pigmentosa? Oh, you mean the term degenerative. Degenerative. That's it. So a lot of conditions have degenerative aspects to them. And so that's where that type of focus comes into play. And I've had people tell me, you know, I never looked at it that way. And I was terrified at the fact of blindfold. So that's why I went through the the training that I did in the beginning. And then it just kind of was like a reality check, like, hey, you need to have that kind of training. And so that's why I did go to the training center I went to. And the thing is, is that in the beginning, it was so terrifying and I struggled and it was kind of intense, but it's what I needed. And they helped so many people, but I'm getting off topic. So I got to the training center and went through the program and graduated, lived in Minneapolis for a while. Graduated and I lived at home for a while because I really didn't have anyone that I could room with. And so it was hard to find affordable housing. So I wound up putting my name on the list in Minneapolis because I really wanted to stay there. So many reasons like the blind community, I love my 
blind family, I called them, and everything like that. And so I went through the training, and mind you, going back to surgeries, I was told I needed to have a laser surgery for my glaucoma at that time because I was had to switch and find a new doctor that I was referred to in Minneapolis to go to while I was there because every three months I had to go to get my glaucoma pressures checked. Sure enough, oh, they're too high. You need another surgery. So I wound up having, I wound up graduating from Blind Inc. on Monday, having the surgery Tuesday, and then going home on Wednesday. So then I was home for a few years and it was hard, but at this point I knew how to do more things. I wound up volunteering at the library and walking there a few times a week. And I still wanted to be, have a purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was back to the days where it was kind of boring, but now it was a little more fun because, hey, I can read my Braille books now or, you know, hey, I know I have an iPhone, so I can do this and that. And so it was a little more, a little more pleasant, but I still wanted to, you know, I had the itch more than ever to get out and branch out on my own and be on my own. I knew I could do it. I had all the skills. So finally, I put my name on other lists for low-income housing in other areas of Wisconsin and got into Fond du Lac and moved to Fond du Lac because I wanted to be somewhere where I knew at least one person. I didn't just want to like drop myself in a city and not know anyone. For me, that was a little terrifying. For some people, it's just like no big deal. And they have other concerns like what doctors am I going to have in the city and things like that or whatever the case may be, but I'll have to change my kids' schools or whatever. For me, it was just not knowing anyone. So my good friend Lori lived here and she actually lives just down the block from me. And we do things together a lot. We go to the gym a lot. And so it really helped. It took me a while to get myself established to the city, like learning the buses or knowing my neighborhood I had someone come and just give me a cane travel lesson around my neighborhood because down the block there's an intersection that has a lighted a green arrow and literally the streets that connect one of the streets is like five lanes across and the other street is like seven or eight so even though it was a lighted intersection, it kind of tripped me up knowing that when listening to traffic and listening to when the parallel goes, oh, wait, not this parallel, another parallel, because this parallel is the green arrow. And at first it goes parallel, but then they turn right in front of you. Okay, that's kind of dangerous. Uh, I need to know how to cross that street. And everyone says, oh, that street is so dangerous. And I hate even driving, but... Once I learned that you have to wait till the merge of parallel traffic that's a little louder um, and you wait for a cycle to listen to see if it's a green arrow or not, that's when it's safe to go. And the thing is, I get people all the time who will come up to me or shout from their car windows like, you can go, you can go. But it's just like, no, you're distracting me. I can cross just fine. I just need to wait for those traffic cycle to go so I know when it's safe so right that was that was important to know and to just um know okay there's a 
I don't know, there's Shopco across the street. And as we're walking this block, they're telling me what businesses are around. And I know there's apps that help us do that. But it just helps having an instructor just tell me a little more about my surroundings because I was really unfamiliar with it. And that put me at ease. And if it's in I know a lot of people who have to do that who move to a new city. And I just want to say it's not uncommon to feel afraid to go out um, once you live alone and are in a different city and to don't feel ashamed to get that little. um, It only took like two lessons to get that little orientation lesson so you can feel more comfortable in your surroundings. So now I live in Fond du Lac and I'm doing good. And the the training now, and earlier I mentioned how I used to view my life of having sight and being blind. Now I view my life as having sight and went through training because it was a complete transformation. And I'm so glad that I had that opportunity and I say it saved me it saved my life because mentally it saved my life I wasn't going through anything like physical that was life-threatening but my mental state was terrible before then and I had a bad attitude I was rude to friends I'll I'll take ownership at at that I I'll admit it you know, I look back, I'm like, how could I have been so cruel? Say such bad things to people, getting in fights with my mom and friends all the time. I was just in a very, very, very dark place. But now, right. you know, I'm transformed. And I also owe it to, and it takes a while to get here. I like telling my friends about how it was around the time that I was having surgery after surgery after surgery and being told that you're your vision's going to get better and pinning all my hopes on that vision getting better and staying better. And finally, I was just laying in the living room, wallowing, poor me, thinking about my situation. And then it occurred to me, you know, this might not get better. This probably isn't going to get better. If this is the way I'm going to be, then I'll accept it. And it's like a weight got lifted off my shoulders. And once I accepted the fact that, okay, this is my sight now, it kind of raised my spirits because I wasn't, I wasn't living day to day expecting to see again. It was just like, this is how it's going to be. And, and just live with it, you know, just move on. The world doesn't stop spinning. You know, it, it, it took a lot to get out of that dark place and admit that to myself. And so I'm right. glad that I did, you know, got in that type of mental state too. It helped a little bit, but that's my story. And I'm so thankful that I could share it with all of our listeners. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Kimberly. I, I really didn't know your story to that extent. I knew a little bit because you mm-hmm. told me a little bit. But not the whole entire story. So thank you so much for for sharing your story. And again, uh, to our listeners, this is from somebody who who had vision problems, who gradually lost their vision. So so vision loss can occur so, in so many different ways. Um, whether you have a, a an existing vision condition that is degenerative, that 
is going to worsen over time or or whether it's a situation like certain medical condition or an accident or something um, that causes your vision loss. And these are two great stories of two successful people that that overcame their vision loss. And yes, there were some hardships, but they overcame it. And it's important to hear these stories to, to let you guys know that it's not the end of the world. Like Kimberly said, the world doesn't stop. The world will, will keep on spinning and it is up to you to want to pick up those pieces and start over again and learn how to adapt. I just want to add that it was so gut-wrenching to me to see all my friends moving on and me not being able to move on. I mentioned it a little bit before, but I would have like family members promise me, oh, I'm going to take you out to lunch sometime. We'll have to get together sometime. It's like when you're in that low state and nothing to do, feeling so just so down and bored and the days are just endless, seem endless. Those promises mean a lot. We don't forget them. And for most of them, it never happened. It was just words. It was just like placating words. And that was really hard to tell myself, you know, all the intention was there. But it was never followed through. And it's not like I had their phone number. We didn't have Facebook that that back then. And I'm not trying to make excuses. But when you're feeling that down, any interaction is just vital. And so so those... And it gave me something to look forward to. And then I was crushed when it never happened. When I finally realized, yeah, they're never going to get back to me. So that was hard to deal with, too. Right. And yeah, I I I I do I do want to add one thing about when you were talking about non-visual skills and why sleep shades are an important part of blindness adjustment training. So, I don't I don't want to cut you off. I I, I do want to get back to the whole mm-hmm. mental state of things. So, it's not just for people who whose vision is going to degenerate. Non-visual skills are also important because sometimes your vision, the vision mm-hmm. that you have, isn't going to be affected. Like, for example, somebody with some vision, like let's say, you know, you're, you're 20 over 200, and you might think, well, I have some vision right now. Why are these non-visual skills going to, how, how are they going to help me? Why should I wear sleep shades? Well, it's be, it's it's also because sometimes your vision won't be effective to do some things what are you going to do if the power goes out how are you going to navigate your home if the power goes out or let's say you have eye fatigue and you have to um, cook a meal what are you going to do are you going to say well I'm not going to cook myself a meal because my eyes are too tired and I won't be able to see what I'm doing it's important to have those non-visual skills too if your vision's not effective aside from the fact that your vision could deteriorate I just wanted to add that in there as well as to why non-visual skills are important mm-hmm. to blind people. And even people who are totally blind also benefit from learning mm-hmm. non-visual skills as well. But we could always talk about all that at a later date, but let's get back to what Kimberly was saying about your mental state and how it's very important to reach out to people when they're going through 
not just vision loss, but anything that affects their mental state of being and their yeah, um, mentally. just when the sighted people are interacting with me or when, you know, anyone, friends and family, it's okay to mention the vision loss too because at a lot of family functions, not my immediate family or anything, it's just like everyone, I think it was just like the elephant in the room that no one wanted to bring up. But I would have given anything to just kind of vent when I was in that state of mind. Or I remember Christmases were especially hard because I couldn't see what people were opening up anymore. And everyone would be reacting to what was opening up. And finally, after years and years, I spoke up and I said, can we say what we're opening up from now on so I can be included too? Not just have everyone around me being like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, I love that color. Well, And I'm sitting there, what color is it? Why is it cool? What is it? But everyone's focused on the present that they don't even hear me or I'll hear them. And then after a while of asking it for like five times, then I'll start to snap and I'd be like, Tell me what it is. And then I'd have, like, whoever is with me, don't be so snotty. Why are you so snotty? Well, I tried saying it nicely five times and no one paid attention. Why, why am I suddenly the bad guy? You know, like, if, if it were you, you would want to know too. You know, so. Um, th- so Christmases weren't as fun for me. But my family's so good at that now. Sometimes they forget. And sometimes it's kind of chaotic. Everyone opening things at once and kids reacting and things like that. But but mm. my family's good at helping me through the food line and telling me what's all what's all there. and Or like making sure if I'm just sitting there and I don't want to get up in... in play obstacle course with all the presents in the way to throw my plate of food away will offer to take my food it's not because i can't do it it's because it'd be unsafe because there's so much stuff on the ground you know and um things like that but the one thing that is hard is that i can't like go throughout the room and suddenly include myself in another conversation that's you know in the kitchen that i'm kind of overhearing that i want to include myself in because I can't get out of my chair. Okay, I guess I'm stuck sitting next to the same four people for a while. Let's hope that those people get up and someone else sits down because otherwise I'm just, I don't want to say stuck, but it's like I can't participate fully as much as I wish I could, you know. But I have learned Mm -hmm. that there are times when even if you have accepted your vision loss but and are in a good state of mind there might be a trigger that happens that causes those feelings of grief and loneliness and frustration to come back but that's completely normal and just know that if you do have the training that you'll you'll figure your way out of it one thing that I find that I use constantly, even saying on a daily basis doesn't begin to um, cover the amount of the, the amount of which I use Mm. brainstorming 
or problem solving, mm-hmm. I should say, where that's something that was really driven into us in training is problem solving. You're going to find that you're going to have frustrations, but you're going to learn that there are different things out there, different resources, different ways in which this this is done. And so a lot of people be like, good idea, or I never thought of that. I'm kind of like the problem solver mm-hmm. of the group. It's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And, and then I suggest things. And sometimes my suggestions aren't taken or my advice mm-hmm. isn't taken and kind of gets me frustrated too. But, and then the person does it and it's just like, you want to say, see, I told you so, you know, when it doesn't work out according to plan, but you just have to bite your tongue. But the thing is, is that I got those skills now to think and stop and think, okay, what other thing can I do? Why, maybe why isn't this file uploading? Okay, I'm going to try Dropbox instead. I'm going to try this program instead. Like that's, that's such an uncommon thing that is so lacking with society is the whole problem solving factor and so I think that's a huge thing to put on a resume like you might get someone who has the education but I have the knowledge and know-how and like I want to say common sense to know okay if this doesn't work we're going to figure this out and that's something employers look for too and to me that's just as important as the degree because you don't come across that very often exactly carissa do you have anything to add anything you want to say i'm just kind of like as kimberly's talking i'm sitting here in my chair nodding at everything she's saying (laughs) (laughs) so i'm sure if there was somebody here in my house looking at me they'd be like why are you just randomly nodding like a goofball (laughs) (laughs) that's funny Well, that's what we want our podcast to be is relatable and hashtag relatable, relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things that you are nodding to Carissa? I think when you were talking about uh, resumes and talking Mm -hmm. about how being a problem solver, like nowhere in job descriptions or when you're filling out your job application does it say like are you a good problem solver can you think on your feet you know that's not something they specifically ask for and i i was just thinking i was nodding my head like right on sister yeah (laughs) but also thinking like how can how can employers start to do that or like start looking out for that it put me deep into thought I don't have an answer right. for it, but I'm like, oh, I'll think on that some more. But you know what? You'll yeah. come up with an answer because we can problem yeah. solve. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, anything that anybody else wants to talk about on the topic of vision loss or or do you think guys think that we covered everything? I covered it, everything. I don't know about Carissa. If you thought of things as I was talking. I guess the one thing I would want to say is I remember or when you were talking about you know reaching out to friends um, when you were kind of at a low point if I could go back to myself you know if I were to say to myself the self that I was when I was going through the initial stages of grieving my vision loss was really reach out to your friends more don't isolate yourself like I did you know reaching out to friends and loved ones I think is so helpful, even 
even if they can do nothing to change, you know, the fact that you're losing your eyesight or that you've lost it, they're there to support you and love you and give you the uplifting words that you may need to hear. I wish someone would have told me that, you know, when I first was losing my vision. It was hard for me because it was a time where everyone was texting and I had a lot of friends who were like, I don't like talking on the phone. It's like, since when? We grew up talking on the phone. Yeah, it was hard for me too. I'm like, why is nobody answering their phone? Yeah, yeah. And they'll be like, I text. I'll be like, well, I can't. So adapt to me. Like, darn it, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of people I lost touch with because they couldn't take the three minutes it takes to call someone and just ask how my day was or something like that. And, And then... It was so hard when a friend's close to you and then, for instance, they get busy with their lives. You you take it personally. I know yeah. we're not supposed to, but we're, we're in such a low state at the time. It's like, it's okay, so you got... It personally. Yeah, you try not to, but you do because you need them so badly, but yet they're consumed with their lives. It's like must be nice you have a job oh I wish I did you know what you do today and I'm just like oh nothing you know and I felt so such a lack of conversation when it came to the holidays and being with my family everyone's like giving updates of things they had and I'm just sitting there like I'm pathetic this is stupid like I have nothing to add. Everyone's lives are moving on. They finished college. Oh, you know, and you try to be happy for them, but it just makes you have even more resentment. Like, I wish I could be there too. I wish I could do that too. And now you're not talking to me anymore. You know, so I think that was the hardest going from having friends to not really having very many. And that's why I listed off the few friends that I did because those were the ones who were there the most. I did have the blind community, like I, I did talk to Angie and you know our um, our our group of friends. But those were the friends who really, really took the time to talk on the phone for two hours with me, or come visited me, or <laughs> you know just let me be mean to them. <laughs> you know, it's important to be there for somebody because vision loss is it's scary. And, you know, some people might might be like, oh, well, at least it's not cancer. Like, no, you don't know what it's like for that person. So don't don't ever say that, oh, people have it worse than you do. Like, of course, of course. Yeah. But at that time, somebody's so low in 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 their life and 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 it's just hitting them that it's going to be a new way for them to adjust. And it's a hard process. If you know somebody that's going through vision loss, don't be negative about it. Support them and be there for them because they need you when they're at their lowest. Well, I do remember my friend Bethany picking me up and we would just walk the mall or she would help me shop. Like our favorite store at the time was Deb and they had a lot of those shirts that have sayings Mm -hmm. on it. And I was like all into that at the time. And so she would, we would just go through the clothes and I would like be feeling them, which is probably a strange thing to witness being a shopper in the store. Like, what is she doing? Obviously, I have a cane with me, but still, it's like I was looking closely. I was feeling, I could feel if there was a pattern on it or whatever. And so we would just walk the mall sometimes. And it was just that getting out of the house that like meant the world to me or going to a restaurant 
and eating and and getting something to eat that got me out of the house and I even had the state of mind where if I would go to a movie with a friend I'd be like oh good so that's gonna take like three or four hours to get there and see the movie and then come home oh good that's three or four hours that I'm not bored so that that was like how low I felt I was trying to like manage my day and, and, and try to have things take up the time that was spent normally just sitting around not not doing much and I do remember at one of our breaks from training it was just a short break I think it was like Easter break or something and I even mentioned this in seminar where I was taught to kind of remember where I had just been try to like keep that like okay, now we're walking in the mall and now we're going straight and then we're turning right at this swing or whatever. And we walk out of the store, mind you, Bethany has, you know, good vision. She wears glasses or contacts or whatever, but she can see. She's sighted. Yeah, exactly. We walk out of Deb and she's like, now which way? Oh, shoot. I can't remember which way we came from. I was like, well, we turn right to get in here. So we want to go left. And it's like, I never had that skill before to keep track of where I've been. And lo and behold, I got us out of the mall. (laughs) But I think that's everything I have. Carissa? I don't think I have anything else either. All right, guys. Well, this concludes our fourth episode. I really hope that this was informative and insightful. And I hope that you guys learned from... Kimberly and Carissa's story and I hope that you guys are able to just apply this to your life if, if, if you're going through vision loss and that you guys are able to get through it and overcome it and just know that there's resources out there that help and just know that you're not alone and if you have a relative or a friend or if, or if you know anybody that's going through vision loss like feel free to just share this episode share it with anybody you know if we have doctors listening share this with anybody friends family i don't know maybe even a patient if it's allowed just share this episode guys honestly share our podcast subscribe to our podcast we're on itunes and google play and i am slowly working on getting us onto more platforms as well i know i keep saying that each episode but i'm really going to be doing that we're also on soundcloud and please like our facebook page Also, follow us on Twitter, and I want to see more interaction on Twitter, on the Twitter page. So you could follow us on Twitter, at BlindLooksLike, and uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash thisiswhatblindlookslikepodcast. And you could also email us. Email us any questions you have, any ideas for future guests that you want on the show. We'll definitely keep that in mind. Our email is thisiswhatblindlookslikepod at gmail.com. And also just tweet us questions too and and, and Facebook us questions because this is really going to help us launch a segment that we really want to do for each show called Ask a Blind Person where we would pick out a series of questions on an episode and we would answer them for you. So please help us do that. We could only do that with your help. Also, keep sharing, keep spreading this podcast. 
because we really want to gather more listeners and and we really want to just be able to have more listeners not just in Wisconsin but throughout the U.S. and even in Canada and Europe and the U.K. if if at all possible. We would really really want to have a wide range of listeners so and that can only happen with with your help by sharing it by sharing our episodes and subscribing to them and, and sharing our podcast and telling anybody you know about it because that's what we're here for we're here to educate the blind community so with that being said guys thank you thank you so much for all the support please continue to support us and we'll bring you more content and more episodes and different guests and and interesting topics so bye guys thanks a lot for listening you guys say bye bye Bye. (laughs) (laughs) all right tune in next time